bread has been with us since 8,000 BC. Wheat has changed over the centuries. How we prepare wheat-containing products has changed. Goodbye diets and hello sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. After more than a decade of dieting, binging, and everything in between, I want to help you heal and rediscover a healthy relationship with food. If you're a millennial looking for some food therapy, I'm here for you. Come with a glass of wine, we'll debunk wellness culture, hormone health, intuitive eating, and more. It's not about the food, ladies. Let's get to what you're really hungry for. So I've recently been making my own bread with my own starter, and it's been one of the most rewarding things. And I also want to say that I've actually been gluten-free for close to five years before this. At first, it started off as an experiment to see if my digestion would improve. And since it was the same time that I cut out dairy, yes, my digestion did improve. So I didn't question it and just continue to cut out dairy and gluten. And fast forward, over the past year, I've started to dip my toes into gluten again because life isn't worth living without bread. And so I've been dipping my toes into making my own bread and eating sourdough and just living life again with gluten. But in the back of my mind, I always think, what is the gluten doing in my body? Is gluten really that bad? Am I wreaking havoc on my digestion and causing inflammation and I don't even know it? And the tricky part is maybe you have family history of celiac or you've always kind of felt some benign signs that point to the fact that you may be gluten sensitive. So maybe you've experienced things like digestive discomfort or brain fog, perhaps low energy, fatigue, even things like eczema or skin inflammation, headaches, migraines, joint pain. And these are all the things that we hear being associated with gluten sensitivity and gluten intolerance. But again, it's not like it's a very clear signal. So I want to look into all the different reasons why gluten has become so demonized. We're going to dive into the history of bread, and it's been here for, for millennia. We're also going to dive into a little bit of the science. So let's start with the science of gluten sensitivity. And what's happening is for a lot of people with gluten sensitivity, it actually causes the body to increase the production of this protein called zonulin. And zonulin is a protein that actually opens and closes the doors of your gut lining so that water can flush in and flush what it doesn't want out of the system really quickly. Generally speaking, people who are more gluten sensitive tend to have more zonulin in their bodies. And what happens is our intestines aren't meant to actually be open. The cell lining is supposed to be tight. We don't want our our gut lining to be open for too long. Otherwise, it causes leaky gut, which means that other things are getting into our bloodstream that aren't supposed to be there, which can cause an immune response. And that's kind of what's happening is when our, our gut lining is open for a little bit of time, 
proteins like gluten get into our bloodstream, which mounts an immune response. People with celiac have significantly higher levels of zonulin than those without, and those who are sensitive to gluten will have a higher zonulin response, which, you know, down the line could potentially increase the risk of autoimmune disease. But why is this the case? If you think back to history, Bread has been with us since 8,000 BC. So we've had bread and wheat for over 10,000 years as a species. So why has gluten suddenly become so concerning and so triggering for many people? For the majority of the 10,000 years that we've had bread and gluten, we've prepared it in very traditional ways. For millennia, we've prepared it by the process of fermentation. You might know this as starter. So for all of you sourdough enthusiasts, the first discovery of how to make bread was someone left wheat outside and it just so happened that yeast and bacteria got into it, made it bubbly, and they baked it off. So that was the very first start of bread. And since then, we've always had a very long process for making bread. You have your starter full of bacteria and yeast, and you let it ferment the dough to extract all the nutrients and to break down the gluten and to make it more digestible. However, in the 1850s, we discovered the fermentation process. So you might know Louis Pasteur. He started to understand the agents responsible for fermentation. And by the late 1800s, they were able to isolate yeast and propagate it. So that was really a turning point in the history of yeast. So instead of waiting days and days and days to make your own starter with the right amount of yeast and bacteria, scientists have now isolated specific strains of yeast and they could choose the most efficient, fast acting yeast. And in the 1940s, the US started to develop yeast. And the brand that we all know, if you've ever baked bread and you've gone to the store to buy yeast, Fleischmann, Fleischmann Laboratory is the the main yeast company. And they really started production of their product in the 1940s. And that was kind of the start of active dry yeast. So now when you buy active dry yeast at home, you can basically put it in the flour and in a fraction of the time, the bread rises and you can bake it. Versus if you were to use your own starter, it would take many more hours for the bacteria and the yeast to work on the flour. So the difference there is with active dry yeast, it's a shortcut. And the shortcut kind of throws away the long fermentation process. And remember, the fermentation process is where the bacteria break down the proteins that make the food more digestible. So, you know, I really do think that that that's one big part of why maybe bread has become less digestible for so many people. And you might be wondering, well, there's also a history of people who have true disease, true celiac disease. And I wanted to get into the history of the first cases of celiac. And what's interesting is celiac disease, the first case that surfaced was actually 8,000 years after bread's inception. And it was really the first century AD that there were the first cases of celiac disease. And it wasn't until the 1880s that a better description of celiac disease was given by Samuel G. He was a pediatric physician 
and he suggested that dietary treatment might be of benefit. So at that time, I think it was still unclear what the food was that caused the issues. In the early 20th century, many diets were tried, and with some success, it was in 1950 that Wim Dick established that the exclusion of wheat, rye, and oats could lead to dramatic improvement, and they identified the toxic component to be gluten. So it was only very recent in the past 70 years that they really isolated it down to gluten as the harmful agent in celiac disease. And it's just such an interesting sort of history. So my hunch is wheat is a very different product from what it was in the past. Modern wheat was actually developed in the 1960s and That was in an effort to increase yields and feed the world. In the 1960s, wheat was genetically modified to be more resistant to disease, and it was made to be more weather-resistant and hardy. Today, it's known as dwarf wheat. It's a high-yielding wheat variety, which contains more starches and gluten compared to ancient wheat. And so the wheat that we're eating now is vastly different from the wheat that was produced for centuries. Dr. Mark Hyman, the New York Times bestseller, likes to call wheat of today Franken-wheat, points to the fact that there's super gluten in this new wheat, which is highly inflammatory. He attributes modern wheat to contributing to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, dementia, et cetera, et cetera. It was only very recent that we really genetically modified wheat, and that's what we see in most of our markets. So that's number one. Number two, the way that we prepare bread is so much different from the past. Since the 1900s, with the advent of fast-acting yeast, we took that shortcut We kind of left out the long fermentation process and we end up with these very industrialized loaves of bread with a fast rise and a lot of those nutrients aren't broken down properly and a lot of those proteins, including gluten, aren't broken down properly. So compare that to my homemade starter. Let me just give you a little taste of what it's like to make starter. So you actually have to take water and flour, mix it together, feed it for seven days until you get the right mix of yeast and bacteria. From there, you take that starter, add it to your flour, whatever one that you choose, and wait at least six to eight hours for it to work itself into the flour and to break down all of the proteins versus fast acting yeast, you could probably bake that sucker up in less than an hour. So just think about that and the difference. And I would highly recommend you watch the Netflix show that Michael Pollan produced called Cooked. And one of the episodes talks exclusively about gluten and it's the episode called Air. And then lastly, I want to leave you with some tangible tools. We can all think of our gut as this very resilient organ system. The inside of our gut lining Think of it like a brick wall. It should be strong and sturdy. The lining, it should be a strong and sturdy structure. But if you are sensitive to gluten, there are a few things to consider. You can think of the bricks loosening up a little bit and the bricks coming apart. But because the gut is so resilient, in a few days time, the bricks will regenerate and the bricks will come together again. You can't always be taking down the wall. You have to let it regenerate and rebuild. And so one thing that I'll have you keep in mind is think about giving your body a chance to heal in between gluten exposure. So maybe give it a few days in between 
and then expose yourself to gluten again and see if that feels good to you. Two, I want you to think about prioritizing buying bread that maybe use a slow process of fermentation. So think artisanal bakeries that have their own starter, that go through the traditional process of fermentation. You can even try ancient grains that haven't been genetically as modified. So think kamut or einkorn. There's a few more in stores that you can buy your own flour make your own starter even, and naturally ferment your own bread. And if you don't like the sour taste of bread, and that kind of comes with the territory of starter, all ancient breads, think naan, think flatbread, pita, they all use starter. It's just that they add a little bit of baking soda, which is more basic. The pH is higher to buffer the acidic nature of starter. So when you're making those types of bread, use your starter and at the very end, add in some baking soda to neutralize the sour and you'll get pita bread or ciabatta bread or pizza dough without the sour. And then another thing I'll recommend is you might want to supplement with an enzyme that can help break down gluten. And that enzyme is DPP4. So it's not going to be your magic bullet. It can only really break down the end part of the gluten protein. So if you're in a pinch and you feel like you really want a backup plan, try to supplement with that enzyme if you can. And then finally, my last recommendation, and I'm actually trying this for myself soon, is a gluten sensitivity test. A lot of the tests that you'll get from the doctor, they're looking at specific antibodies that mount after you have gluten. Although that gives you some sign as to if you have celiac or not, it's not a great test. It's not very sensitive. So one of the better tests on the market right now is this functional lab test called the wheat zoomer. And I heard about this through actually another dietitian, and I'm going to try this out for myself. It's coming in the mail. It requires me to prick my fingers and to drip my blood onto this piece of paper. But this test is supposed to look at the amount of zonulin in my bloodstream, as well as quite a few different types of antibodies. So I will keep you posted as to whether that test sheds any more light. But the real takeaway is wheat has changed over the centuries. How we prepare wheat-containing products has changed and industrialized. So take that into account. And if you're going to eat bread or eat gluten, try to get the highest quality sort of bread product or gluten product that you can and enjoy it as long as you don't have celiac. And I'll get back to you about this test if you're curious. So if you want me to do a follow-up about the results of my wheat zoomer test, go ahead and tag me on Instagram and write the words wheat zoomer. And if enough of you do that, I'll go ahead and share my results with you when I get them. So hopefully you enjoyed this podcast episode. I would so, so, so appreciate it if you could review, subscribe, and rate this podcast. Thank you so much for letting me into your ears and hope you have a great day and I'll talk to you next Tuesday.